Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, February 24th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. We're going to chat some college hoops. We'll talk Marquette, North Carolina tonight, Big Ten for the rest of the week, and also take a look at the UFC card here this weekend, UFC on ESPN Plus 44 with a main event between Rosenstrike and Gaines. So another heavyweight main event here after a very interesting heavyweight outcome last week that we'll discuss on today's show with Kiev. We are under 24 hours away from the 2021 MLB betting guide. My job this afternoon will be to do the final edits across that guide, all 30 MLB teams with a season win total pick and a season preview futures for the world series, ALNL pennant, ALNL MVP, ALNL Cy Young, all of the divisions, and then also the Home Run King, probably my favorite article to write in that guide. There will be a glossary of statistics and introduction. We'll have all of that in a PDF form, then also in individual article pages over at ATS.io. So you can check those out on the website, or you can download the ATS app, which you can get from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website, but the ATS app is also a bet tracker. It's also an odd screen, a stats database to help you handicap the games. And if you want to, there's a premium model subscription available in there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month in that ATS app. So I would highly recommend that you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. And Kiev, how's it going today, man? As usual, thanks for having me on the show, Adam. I can't believe February is almost over. I mean, that month goes so fast for me, especially when it comes to looking at college basketball and all the fun that you get sports betting in. And March Madness is right around the corner, man. How how's this happen so fast? I don't know, man. It's it's definitely been a quick month for me working on all that stuff with the MLB guide. And, you know, as we talked about on Monday's show with Kyle Hunter, the first conference tournament starts Thursday with the Horizon League. Got a couple going off here this weekend on Saturday, the Big South and the America East Conference. So, you know, it's conference tournament time. A lot of them will be over the next two weeks here, starting next week. And then, of course, the following week. Then we get March Madness. Then baseball season begins April 1st. So very much looking forward to that very busy time of the sports betting calendar, to say the least. And before we jump into our talking points here for today, Kiev, I just want to ask you about you know, conference tournaments. We talked about them a little bit with Kyle on Monday. We'll do a lot more of that on the subsequent shows here over the next couple of weeks. But do you dabble in that conference tournament futures market? Well, absolutely I do. I I usually like to take a few. I, I mean, I don't love betting on favorites, but, you know, at the same time, um, favorites can take me off of a tournament. You know, if, if there's something that just, I mean, fa- favorites aren't priced that great you know this and then you try to calculate well what if i do a uh a, a money line parlay right something like that and uh it's not, it, it sometimes still doesn't come to a better situation because there's such big favorites laying like minus 500 the first game minus like minus 250 the second and you'll be lucky if they're not you know even money uh, in the final game right 
So uh, I think some of the long shots I like to take, and in most cases, the uh, the money line parlay is better to uh, you know go about just because they're going to be such big dogs and your money compiles, you know? So th- that's the way I like to go. Once in a while, you know, you'll find someone that's such a big dog that maybe you don't even care about uh, doing the, uh, the, par- the parlay just because uh, you, you have to be on top of it every single day when you do a money line rollover. Yeah. The money line rollover, definitely something that we will talk about a lot here on the show. Usually a much better way of looking at, you know, these conference tournaments here. The conference tournament for the Big Ten is still several days away. We've got you know a lot of games left to be played in this conference, but I think it's kind of interesting to just take an overview look here at the odds to win the Big Ten conference. And Michigan, the favorite according to DraftKings, plus two twenty-five. This includes the conference tournament, so this is basically the conference tournament winner here for the Big Ten. Michigan at plus two twenty-five, and we'll talk about them and that game with Ohio State in a couple of minutes. The Buckeyes, the second choice, plus three hundred. Iowa 430, Illinois 450, Wisconsin 800, Purdue 1300, and then on down from there. You know, we've talked about the Big Ten a lot here on your segments, Kiev, and you know how this is the, the best and, and certainly I would say the most balanced conference in college basketball this season. As we look at those odds, kind of you know a few weeks in advance of when this conference tournament will get decided. I mean, is, is there a team that you know you might kind of have your eye on here for when the Big Ten conference tournament begins? Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, you, you have four teams, right? And the best you get is you know, plus 400, and then it jumps all the way to plus 800 with, with Wisconsin. Look at that gap there, right? Uh, of course, you know, the first four teams have the uh, the best road because they get to delay a couple days, and that's, and that's definitely part of it. But it's certainly not going to be Wisconsin. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Wisconsin is just such a hot and cold team. Uh, when they're not shooting, they, they could lose to anybody, you know, they could get beat by anybody in the big 10, really, uh, they have to be on and they're really soft down low. If there's a team that I want to take a price on or, a, or a money line rollover, just from what you mentioned there, it's Purdue. Uh, you know, how can it not be Purdue? Purdue 17th and Ken Palm. Purdue's got the size down there. They got Travion Williams that's been there forever. 6'10". That dude can ball, you know. They have, uh, you know, Edney. Zach Edney, 7'4". He's kind of coming on his own. He's he's just a matchup nightmare because as high as people can jump, they can barely touch his hands. And if he jumps a little bit, you know, he could get the ball over the cylinder there. So uh, Purdue, Jaden Ivey, he's a kid that I've been watching all year just get better and better as a freshman. And when it comes to tournament time, it's kids like that that really shine. They take the opportunity. Well, he's very athletic, and he can be flying into the basket, you know. So right now, from a price standpoint, whether you want to do the money line rollover or even take a shot if you're getting over 12 to 1 or something, I'm looking at Purdue. Yeah, Purdue out there, 13 to 1. And, and again, it is tough because you've got four teams here under 5 to 1. So not really a ton of value as we look this far in advance, but – you know, we'll, of course, see what happens here over the remainder of the regular season. And speaking of the regular season, most watched regular season game in almost two years was that game over the weekend between Ohio State and Michigan, and it delivered. I mean, it was a good game. The end game didn't have as much drama as maybe you would have liked in that final minute because Michigan just, you know, they made the plays down the stretch that they had to and, and came away with a big victory there in Columbus. But, uh, that was a, a pretty resounding statement, I think, from Michigan 
But also, you know, I think people maybe being a little bit critical about Ohio State coming out of that game because I think it just showcased how good Michigan is. I don't think it was really an indictment too much of the Buckeyes. It wasn't at all. I mean, there was that bad behind-the-back pass with, like, what, a minute 30 left, and they are in that game when that happened, you know? I mean, players do that. It's, it's just it's kind of like a brain fart type thing. It's just, why are you making that pass in th- that critical moment of the game? And I'm sure that, who was it, Suing that did it or Washington? I, I can't remember which who did that. Um, C.J. Walker maybe, but it, it was a bad pass. And Michigan capitalized it. Livers went all the way down, got fouled hard under, made the shot, got the free throw, and the game was over after that. We were on Michigan that game because – I knew Michigan was the best team. You actually called it out before I did, though, Adam. So I'm going to give you some credit for that. About five, six weeks ago, I had Illinois, Michigan. You had Michigan, Illinois. You ended up being right about that. So congrats on that. But Michigan is the best all-around basketball team in the Big Ten. That is 100% for sure. And, uh, you know, they just have too many matchup nightmares, really. But at the same time, they could have some bad games. And as far as the tournament, Big Ten is so well-rounded, as you said, Adam, I can't take a favorite right now in the big 10, but Ohio state, they are much better than I thought coming into this season. And Ohio state is going to be a favorite uh, coming up this week here and uh, against Michigan state. I'm sure we're going to get into that game. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely get into that game and get into a few of the games here in the big 10 conference. And, you know, for Ohio state, I mean, we we've harped on this point a lot here on the show about, you know, teams that shoot a lot of mid range jumpers, not really teams that we want to back. And and I think that is a problem for Ohio state as they go forward in that they are a good shooting team, but you know, if you don't do well in those mid range shots and it's such a big part of your game, that can be a significant problem for you in this one and done format. So I think Ohio state is the type of team that is very good, but if they get bounced early in the big 10 tournament, if they get bounced early in the NCAA tournament, I probably won't end up being that surprised. And that's a distinction that I think at this time of the year, you absolutely have to make. I mean, think about Iowa, for example. Iowa, one of the best offensive teams in the country, second in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Torvik. They are terrible defensively. I mean, they are just not good. And at some point in this one-and-done format, that will come back to hurt them. So that's why when you're looking at NCAA tournament futures, conference tournament futures, stuff like that, you want a balanced profile. And for Ohio State and Iowa, they just don't really have that to the same degree that some of the other teams do where, look, I mean, they're you know top five teams in the country offensively, but defensively, they leave something to be desired. So, you know, as we get into these later in the season situations and specifically, you know, postseason play where you have no margin for error, those are teams I tend to worry about quite a bit. You know, what I will say, Adam, <clears throat> about Ohio State is they take less mid-range jumpers than they did a little earlier. I mean, I believe in Haslam metrics, they were ranked in the top 10 before. They're now in like the top 30 for mid-range jumpers. So, I mean, for attempted, you know, I'm not talking about the percent they make, I'm talking for attempted. So they've improved a little bit on that. So that's a good thing for Ohio State. But yeah, I, when it comes to tournament teams, you want some balance and you want a star. You want a star that can take over when it's needed. There's a couple Big Ten teams that don't have that. You know, Wisconsin is one of those teams. They don't have that star that takes them to the next level. They don't have that star that bails them out when they're up three and they're too nervous to hit the final shot. 
you know, you stay away from those teams for sure. But uh, uh, I completely agree. You want some good balance when it comes to these tournaments. Well, and like something that would be a concern for a team like Iowa, for example, you know, if Luca Garza gets in foul trouble early in a game, you know, then, then what happens to them? You know, I mean, they, they have a lot of different scoring options, but Garza is that premier mismatch down low for this team to where, you know, if he winds up having to sit out 10, 11 minutes in the first half, something like that, to avoid getting that third foul in a one and done format, that's really concerning. So these are all things that you want to factor in the equation as you're maybe starting to put together a little bit of an NCAA tournament portfolio. Speaking of teams in the NCAA tournament, a couple of teams that probably need tonight's win to feel a little bit more confident with their chances, Indiana and Rutgers. Now, of course, being in the Big Ten, they may get some preferential treatment when Selection Sunday rolls around, but tonight's game would definitely be an important one for either one of these two teams to get. Rutgers, a three-and-a-half-point favorite here in this one, total 132-and-a-half. So this spread, I hate to say it, but is it's probably exactly where I'd make it. And uh, it, I guess you can call it a road revenge spot for Indiana, but when Rutgers faced Indiana, they were so desperate. You know, we were on Rutgers that game and they happened to pull off the victory. Thank goodness. But uh, neither team's that great at shooting the ball. Very middle of the road. Indiana's better at threes. 34.6% to 31.8%, but Rutgers shoots the two a little bit better, 51.9% uh, field goal percentage to 49.6 total field goal percentage. Both teams equal in rebounds. Indiana averages a little bit better uh, points per game, I think one or two points per game over Rutgers. But you also have to factor that Rutgers was injured a little bit this year, and Indiana really wasn't. So, I mean, I mean that evens it out, you know? Uh, the, the spread's perfect. It, it, this is exactly where I'd make it, you know, and you can't bet every game, but um, you know, when it comes to some of these bigger conferences, sometimes you just have to pass. This is a game I'm passing on. I have a slight lean to the under because I think I have the game at about 131. So I, I'll give a slight lean to the under this one, but uh, unfortunately nothing big. Yeah. I think it's a tough one. And I think something that Kyle Hunter brought up on Monday when we talked about this show made a lot of sense is that, this is a very important game. I mean, I think Rutgers is on the plus side of the bubble. I think they would get in at this point in time. Indiana, I'm less sure about. But one of the things that Kyle mentioned earlier on in the week, and as I said, this total sitting 132 and a half, is that the more important the game, the tighter the two teams kind of play. You know, you sort of try to play as mistake-free as you possibly can. You know, we talked a little bit uh, before the show, and you and I were having a discussion not related to sports betting per se, about you know, your individual risk profile and how much risk tolerance you're willing to take on, uh, you know, in a given situation. When it comes to sports, you know, when you're talking about a game of this magnitude, your risk tolerance is low. You want to make sure you're going through your offense, going through your best sets, going through the things that should give you the most success. And these are two teams that, you know, they don't really fly up and down the court for the most part. So you've got a situation here where, to me, I think both of these teams do try to play as mistake-free as possible. And when the stakes are high in those types of games, it does kind of point you in the direction of the under. Yeah, that, and I think that's why I lean to the under. And also, if you look at their free throw percentage, <laughs> Indiana ranks 291st, 66.7%. And Rutgers ranks 60. 
335th, 62.5%. So kind of at the end of the game, they could be missing some key free throws that would some an over better would need, you know? So definitely lean to the under. My only problem really is at the end of the game, these teams could be so desperate. It, there could be a little foul city happening here. And uh, those big 10 officials are not afraid to call fouls this year. It's a low total. And just from an efficiency standpoint, my numbers didn't, didn't really come anything better than 131. But I, I have a lean to the under because of your points, Adam. I think you made good points. They're going to try to make less mistakes. That means they're not going to be running up haphazardly down the floor. They're going to play some defense. They're going to care about getting back on defense first. And that's just how some of these games are played. So I have a lean to the under. Yeah, that's a good point about the fall fests. And, and, and the Big Ten here lately – I mean, it, it sure seems like it's been a ref show in, in several games here of late. So you, know, you could have a good bet on the under. You could be in great shape at halftime or, you know, at the, at the you know, under eight timeout or something like that in the, uh, in the second half. But, you know, fouls are always kind of the great equalizer there. And, and a reason why a lot of people do tend to shy away from unders, even though, you know, I would say across the college basketball landscape year in and year out, it's probably more like 51% unders, 49% overs or something like that. Yeah. And that's just because at the end it gets jacked up. So it makes sense. If you want to play it, go under and then go second half over. There's a team, there's a team that's been hitting the second half over that we're going to get into here. But um, you know, that way you have a chance at a middle. If you're hitting that anyway, if you're not in line to hit that middle, maybe it's going over the first half that game could freeze up and you can win that bet anyway. So it gives you some options. Always, like I said last week, you, you look at both sides, look at both halves. Yeah, that was a good continuation of what we discussed last week. You have about, you know, second half betting and about trying to find some of those opportunities. And and I agree with you. I, I think, you know, you maybe you do look first half under, kind of a, a tight start to this game. Then you look second half over if there is a fall fest and maybe you go three and oh, maybe you go two and one if you take it full game under position. But I think it's a good way to look at this one here tonight. And of course, we'll see how it ends up playing out. A couple of highlight games in the Big Ten on uh, Thursday night here. A couple of ESPN telecasts even. And of course, the first one of those games, the bigger of the two, Iowa and Michigan. This one's so big, in fact, that you know even books that generally don't release a whole lot of overnight odds do have something up on this one. DraftKings showing Michigan minus five and a half. Total 164 for this game here in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, Michigan coming off of a huge win, an emotional win over a rival that they can't beat in football. So what do you think about this one here between Iowa and Michigan? Well, like I said last week, the Ohio State and the Michigan game is going to be the best game of the weekend. I guess this is going to be the best game of the weekdays. So uh, I, I guess maybe West Virginia, Baylor. Is that a Friday or a Saturday? I, I can't wait for that game. But I believe... I want to say they canceled that game. It was supposed to be Thursday night. I, I saw this yesterday come across Twitter. And, and I mean, I'm so over all this COVID shit and the impact it's had on college basketball and altering the schedule and the COVID pauses and, and everything like that. Not to mention just, you know, the, the pandemic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But the big, T- the big 12 was talking about how they have so many games to kind of move around and reschedule that they actually took West Virginia Baylor off the board for Thursday. Oh my God, that that is awful. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I'll see if I can find out what the rationale behind that was as we're breaking down Iowa, Michigan here. But sure. yeah, the, the Big Ten is, or the Big 12, excuse me, 
uh, has made some adjustments to the schedule. I mean, how many people circled, though, West Virginia to bet because of how bad Baylor did against Iowa State? You know, I, I wanted Baylor to whip Iowa State and then come back on West Virginia here. Uh, you know, I, I Baylor's COVID pause kind of came into fruition there, and Iowa State was winning that game with like eight minutes left. But I've been there before with Baylor, and they, they, they seem to finish really well. But going back to what's important here, Iowa versus Michigan should be around minus three. Ken Palm has minus two. I think Torvik's got minus four. Uh, total is about 156. I, that's where I wrote down anyway. It's going to you know, drop a little bit, as you know how Big Ten goes. Uh, Iowa's offense, 127 ranking and adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm. I mean, that is, uh, that is just ridiculous almost to this point. But the reason it is is because they, they play a little bit faster and it's it is in i mean if you really compare offenses of them to gonzaga to michigan i don't know if iowa's got the edge over any of those guys but um michigan more complete team as we know right for sure but iowa they were in the hundreds on defense and now they're down to 75 in defensive efficiency on ken palm the reason that is is because they've really stepped up their defense they went in that nasty losing streak and over the last five games, they allowed less than 69 points to opponents. And for the speed that they play, that's saying something. Five Big Ten teams. So bravo for them. And that gives me a little scratch, a head scratcher here on the on the total. I still have a lean on it. But uh, the matchup to watch, obviously, <clears throat> Luca Garza and Hunter Dickinson down low. I mean, the senior versus the freshman. But you're also going to have Davis coming in. And Garza's going to have to rest some. You know, he doesn't rest a ton. He's in great shape, but this is where big 10 or the Michigan's going to have an advantage because they're going to rotate their, their big guys in, you know, uh, and Hunter is just so big. You think Luca Garza is big. You stand next to him. You think he's a giant. Well, Hunter looks like, uh, you know, <laughs> towers over him almost. He says he's listed at seven, one, but I swear he's seven, two, seven, three, uh, kids, young, about 18, 19 years old. He's probably still growing. Um, just from a fact, just through the way I, I run this game through my numbers, I have Michigan winning it 84 to 80. Okay. But um, the total says 156. If this gets bet down low enough, I'm going to have to take the over. And, and maybe Michigan will want to slow this game down. I don't know. But at some point, you have to remember Michigan will play fast if you want them to play fast or if, if the other team controls that side of the ball. Michigan's okay with that. You saw in Ohio State, would that game go up to 180 points or, or more? It, it was really high. And uh, I can expect the same type of thing here because Michigan, they're going to want to keep that top number one spot here. And Iowa, if they beat Michigan, well, they're going to think they're reigning king in the Big Ten. You know, they, even though they're not going to be in the standings, they're on Ken Palm, they might jump at Michigan. Who knows? You know, a nice road win right there. So for them, I can see motivation on both sides here. I'm going to bet Michigan if it's at three and if it's at under three for whatever reason, because Ken Palm has it at two, then I'm really going to bet Michigan just because Michigan's a more complete team. Michigan's at home. And I don't think there's any letdown factors after that Ohio state game. So um, I'll play Michigan at three and anything under 156, I'll probably have to play the over at them. Well, as I'm looking here, Torvik's got Michigan minus 4.6, total on the game 159. And as I said, DraftKings, Michigan minus 5.5 and 164.5 on the total. So 
We'll see what happens as other sports books open up and start to take some bets on this one. But for now, uh, it does look like the total a little bit higher than some of the projections that are out there and the side a little bit higher here as well, at least according to DraftKings. So, you know, maybe they're kind of expecting the public side to be Michigan and the over for this game. Uh, but, you know, we'll see how this kind of winds up playing out as we get more sports books that open. I, I think it's going to get pounded under. I mean, at 164, Big Ten game for sure. That's going to get pounded down. I think it's going to kind of settle around the 156, 157 range before it even starts to creep back up. So that, that's my prediction, but we'll see if I'm right. And then as far as the Big 12 goes here, uh, they adjusted the schedule to, quote, avoid scheduling a team to play three games in successive weeks. So they took West Virginia Baylor off the board for Thursday. They will play in Morgantown on March 2nd. So that's Tuesday night, Baylor at West Virginia. So the Thursday game taken off the board here for this week, the one in Waco, but they will play in Morgantown next Tuesday. That's actually a 5 p.m. Eastern start time, which whatever. I guess that's kind of a head scratcher in and of itself too. Totally. Uh, that is the situation there uh, as far as the Big 12 goes. What about this nightcap on ESPN here where Ohio State takes on Michigan State? And you know, for Ohio State, tough loss coming back from that Michigan game but I don't think they should feel bad about how they played in that one. And as you said, they'll probably kind of point to that, you know, ill-advised behind the back pass as sort of a game changer on the other side. I, I, I don't know if this is maybe Tom Izzo, you know, rubbing that magic lamp a little bit, but road win over Indiana home win against Illinois. Now they've got Ohio state here on Thursday night. Yeah. I watched that whole game yesterday and uh, coffee Cockburn was just getting, hammered the whole first half i mean the officials eventually started calling it but that's what Izzo did it was smart of him he realized some of the same things i've been talking about uh illinois forwards are bad their guards are very good Cockburn's amazing but put some really tall guys down there double up on Cockburn, frustrate the heck out of him he couldn't hit anything he couldn't hit a free throw he was getting just hammered michigan state eventually fouled out at the end but by that time I mean, I, Illinois was shell-shocked. They were absolutely beat up, and they couldn't even hit free throws at the end. I, I feel like they're shaking or something. And, and, and it was a great way to coach the game. I mean, Izzo just said, go in there and hammer them. If you get called, you get called. And it was a smart way to do it. Um, one thing I'm going to say about Michigan State, and it's a little trend that I've caught on, second-half overs. Michigan State second-half overs have been money. A couple reasons. Number one, they were out of the tournament a couple games ago, and they still might be out. They're playing with desperation. Imagine those kids having their coach miss the tournament because of them. Well, they're playing hard, they're fouling, and they're getting fouled, especially at the end. They're starting off the game a little bit slow, but then they're coming, driving, shooting a lot faster, it seems, in the second half. So at least three games in a row we've been on that, and I'm going to have to say that I'm probably going to be betting the second half over again. Um, number two, I mean, Ohio State, they're just – they're a better shooting team in, in general, right? They're going to be a favorite here at Michigan State, and that's a scary-looking favorite. But, I mean, after that win against Illinois, Illinois couldn't hit a shot. Illinois just couldn't get back in the game. I, I have to wonder um, if Michigan State can do it again this quickly. You know, Ohio State, they're coming off some rest. They're, bug they're bothered, like you said, about that behind-the-back pass. Michigan State's 
has barely any rest whatsoever because of their COVID pause earlier this year. So they're playing pretty quickly here. Both teams have the same assist to turnover rate, and it's really because Michigan State turns the ball over more, but they, they have, they're better in assists. But Ohio State's just 46.4% shooting percentage to 43.1. You know, uh, Michigan, Michigan State's good, but I don't see them winning this game at all. And as a matter of fact, I'm definitely going to be playing the second half over, but I think I'm going to be taking Ohio State all the way up to seven. I think this is a situation, too, where – Ohio State is extremely well coached. I mean, Chris Holtman is is fantastic. You know, I mean, he's maybe not the greatest of recruiters. And I've talked with Kyle Hunter about this, both of us being Ohio State football fans and, you know, him following Ohio State college basketball a little bit closer than me. But we've kind of talked about that, where, where Holtman's not the greatest of recruiters, but he really maximizes his talent well. And something I appreciate about coaches in college basketball is, you know, you don't have a lot of time to get over losses usually you know you got to get your guys back in the gym fix the things that were a problem during practice go through your film study and then of course here they got to ship up to east lansing for this game i don't think there's really a residual hangover effect for ohio state off of that loss i i, I don't see that being a problem with a team coached by a guy like holtman that is important at this time of the year because some losses hurt more than others whether it's you know if you're on the bubble or you know a seating thing or a conference regular season title type of thing something like that some losses hurt more than others and you put in you know, the bad blood of this rivalry between these two universities and I think a team with a lesser coach could have a hangover effect I don't think that happens with Ohio State here and especially too because with Michigan State's last couple of performances now you know that Sparty's not a pushover you know that Sparty is potentially playing its best ball of the season here I kind of like Ohio. I don't know about first or full game, but I think Ohio State in the first half is a good look here too. Yeah, yeah, first half's not a bad idea to look at it because I can see them coming out firing for sure. You know, uh, Michigan State's still desperate, so if you're a little bit worried about that, but at the same time, Michigan State got a couple big wins here. You know, I think it's time for a little bit of a letdown here. I have no problem laying the points with Ohio State. And one of the thing I'll say about Chris Holtman, he's getting he. You're right, he's getting the best out of these guys. When EJ Liddell's not hitting, Justice Suing starts hitting. You know, when Dwayne Washington's cold, you know, CJ Walker, right? Some other guys really have been stepping up, um, you know, for the for each other. And that's why they have such a good shooting percentage. They're just a well-coached team. You know, I, I, Ohio State's going to be probably finishing really hot, in my opinion. The other two games here on Thursday night, Northwestern's on the road in the barn against Minnesota, Nebraska, and Illinois. Illinois will be probably about a two-touchdown favorite or so in that game. Anything on those two games that stands out here before we move on? Well, Minnesota, I mean, we pounded this to death. (laughs) Home road splits, right? I mean, it didn't show up that well this weekend against Illinois, but, I mean, Gabe Kulcher, he's out. He's out till late March, which – who knows if they'll be around in late March, but uh, you know, his finger injury is pretty bad and, and it really showed against Illinois, but at the same time, Illinois couldn't miss Illinois went up to the barn and they were shot like 55% or something, some ridiculous over 50% from three, you know, and, and then they actually cooled it down. I think they at one point they're at 70% and they just kind of cooled down <laughs> at the end of the game, but uh, Minnesota was out of that game completely, but this is their get it right game. One thing I want to say about this time of year, Adam, is we have to start looking for teams that are either going to give up or they're going to vie for a seed in the tournament. 
Northwestern's a concern for me. And uh, I mean, for them, they do have big 10 wins. They haven't won since December 26 against Ohio state actually, uh, but they, they, they've lost what 15 in a row or something ridiculous. Now it, just a ton of games in a row. And so you wonder if they're just going to kind of pack it in. I would vote pack it in more than anything, especially on the road here. I do not like that Gabe Kulcher's not playing, but at some point, Mashburn or Carr, somebody, Robbins, is, is going to step up and have a really big game for Minnesota just because Minnesota, you know, they, 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 there's not a lot of quit in this team. You know, they're going to play tough. Ken Palm says five points. That seems a little low to me. You know, uh, I'm going to take Minnesota here. I'll lay five. I'd probably lay up to six, six and a half points here on this one. I'm going to stay away from the total. Michigan's Minnesota's been going under for some reason. And if, and if, if Northwestern gets blown out, it, it, this, te- this game could definitely go under. So, you know, thoughts to the total with uh, Northwestern speed and how fast they play. But, I mean, this is all Minnesota here. Minnesota's not in the tournament either. They, they, need, a, they need a couple wins here. So I, I think Minnesota wins comfortably. I'm going to take them. Yeah, Northwestern dropped 13 in a row, and a lot of them by double digits, too. So, you know, they've had some close calls. They had a close game against rival Indiana that went to overtime. But, uh, yeah, you know, not really looking for much out of Northwestern in that one. Before we move on and talk some UFC to finish up the show, did you have any thoughts on, on Friday's Purdue-Penn State game, or did you mostly just look at the Thursday card? I mostly look at the Thursday card. I mean, Penn State, they, they're desperate, too. Uh, Purdue's on the road. I don't like Purdue on the road in general. Uh, Purdue's already in. Is Purdue going to care? Purdue's not going to get a top four seed. I don't think. I I, I think they kind of know that. So um, uh, my I have a slight I was slightly into Penn State on this before the Lions come out, but that's that's about as much research as I really did on this one. There's actually a game tonight that I was going to look at though, Adam, Marquette versus North Carolina. If we have a minute, yeah, absolutely. So this, I looked at this game and I'm going to play this game for one reason here. You know, this was an added game. I think they added it this week, but, but who's, who's this more of a distraction for Adam? Who do you think North Carolina or Marquette? I mean, I would say North Carolina because Marquette's not playing well at all. They need any, you know, good performance they can find. Exactly. North Carolina, 14 and seven. I mean, that Duke win has aged well for them, right? They're, they're in the tournament. And they care about getting seeds in the ACC tournament, right? And now they have to play Marquette down the stretch of the season. Holy cow, what a, what a terrible position. And they're they're going to play them at home, but they don't want to do this. They have Florida State on deck coming up this weekend. This is perfect for Marquette, though, right? Marquette's got a pretty bad record, 10 and 12 so far. Their win against Wisconsin hasn't aged all that well. They do have a nice win at Creighton, so this shows that they can do it. But this is a spot where Marquette can say, look, we beat North Carolina here, one of the top ACC teams. We beat Wisconsin. We might be 500 at the end of the season. They still have to beat you know, DePaul, Xavier, which they should, but UConn's going to be tricky. But this is a perfect game for them to make a statement, to make a statement that they can get in the uh, the tournament itself, and they need this game. Kobe McEwen's a very good player. DJ Carton's playing a little bit better as well. I've seen that Marquette can do it. This is a bad spot for North Carolina. I'm taking Marquette plus the nine points. 
Something else I'm kind of looking at here a little bit too. I think the over is very much in play for this game as well, because, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show with regards to, uh, you know, things tightening up for Indiana and Rutgers, this game doesn't really have that same feel to it. I mean, it's a non-conference game, as you said, kind of thrown onto the schedule there. You know, North Carolina went out and scored 82 points against Northeastern, scored 99 against Louisville. They're kind of finding their stride a little bit offensively now. And for Marquette, I mean, look, you know, you're, you're not playing Big East competition. You're not going to be playing, you know, a team that's going to really slow the game down or anything like that. You can go out there and say, look, you know, we have nothing to lose here in this game. So let's just go ahead and go out there and kind of see what happens. And I think that's part of the reason why we have seen this total go up a bit from 144 to as high as 146 out there in the global markets, just because, yeah, when there's less on the line, you know, you kind of get teams going out there and, and sort of playing for fun and kind of running the floor and all that. I wouldn't be totally shocked if we see North Carolina, you know, hang mid to upper 80s again and also see Marquette get theirs in this one. Oh, for sure. And in an anything goes type atmosphere, you always look towards the over. Marquette's going to be desperate. They're going to be they're going to be hitting some shots. They're going to be driving the hoop. North Carolina is going to be playing their game, which is fast, fast, fast. 15.7 seconds per possession, ranking 27th in all of the college basketball this year. Yeah, absolutely. Lean to the over. And I and I really like Marquette. And if you if you care about the money line a little bit, maybe put a tiny piece of it, season it a little bit at plus 300. I don't have a problem with that either. All right, so let's shift gears over to the UFC event here coming up this weekend. And uh, before we talk about this event specifically, a couple of good calls from you on the show last week with regards to that UFC event. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, great call on the on the plus 450. You actually mentioned that as well. So when we attack a fight here, you know, we like to make multiple bets sometimes if you're getting plus money because you're just fading one side of it. You really could count it as one bet. You know, we, I, I like how Blades took down Volkov the whole fight and just won by points in that five-rounder. So I'm like, everyone's looking at uh, Derek Lewis and saying, this guy can't last. Well, I've watched Derek Lewis, and I've seen him last. So I, we took Blades at plus tw- 325 to win a decision, and we took the big monster plus 450, uh, Derek Lewis, to win by KO because that's how Derek Lewis wins. Derek Lewis, if this fight went the distance, there's no way he wins because it means it was a technical fight. Blaze is a technical fighter. Blaze was winning in points when this happened. But, you know, Blaze got frustrated. He ducked his head and tried to come in, and Lewis knew exactly that was going to happen. He came in low, monster uppercut, knocked him out. So instead of – I can't count it that we made plus 450, but I can count it that we made plus 350 on it. Two sides of the bet, you look at it as just one play, right? You're betting two different outcomes, still paid some big plus money at plus 350. So really happy about that. And also Yana Kunitskaya – just like we said, she was the better technical fighter. She landed strikes at the end of the fight is where she took Caitlin around, took her down and cut her open pretty bad. You know, that's how it happened. Now, as far as a grappling perspective, she lost that, you know, she was not winning, but she lasted and she was good enough to have enough gas to turn her around, come back on and throw some big rights and lefts some big elbows at the end of that fight. That was another nice two uh, plus two thirty that we hit. So overall it was a great UFC weekend. You know, we had a bad UFC weekend the weekend before, but before that uh, we hit Benil Dariush pretty big. So UFC's going well. Well, as we look at this card here and I did write a preview uh, over at ATS.io this morning, also one over at bang the book for you to check out. Uh, but 
Jerzinho Rosenstrike and Cyril Gain is your main event here. Another heavyweight main event. And I can't help but wonder, Gain a minus 265 favorite here, Rosenstrike plus 210 on the take back. I can't help but wonder, Kiev, if people look at what happened in that heavyweight fight last week and just default to the dog. Because as we've seen in heavyweight fights before, one well-timed, well-placed, perfect shot, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happened in the fight up until that point. That one shot could be the winner. I wonder if we see a lot of Rosenstrike money here in this one as a result. You might, um, but Serial Gains the hype guy. You know, th- there's a lot of replays out there of Serial knocking, knocking the piss out of people. But I don't know what Giorgino did wrong to be a plus 225 dog in the first place here. You know, you always fade the hype when things come in. This fight, Serial Gain. He has one good win, in my opinion. He beat up a bunch of nobodies. He beat Junior Dos Santos. Well, Junior Dos Santos has been beaten up by a lot of people lately, including Giorgino, in about the same amount of time that Serial Gain did. But Giorgino could have finished him quicker because what a lot of people don't know is that they fight for the same gym. You know, Dos Santos and Rosenstruck fight for American top team. And I think... Just for that fact, American top team is really going to want to see their fighter win this fight, possibly get a little revenge for Junior Dos Santos here. You know, I don't know what Giorgino did wrong to be such a big dog. He's 11 and one. His one loss was to Naganu. Can we, can we punish him for losing to Francis? No, no, you can't punish that at all. As a matter of fact, Giorgino got caught in the first round. And uh, that just ha- that happened. That could happen to anybody. That could happen David and Goliath. That could happen to seriously anybody in the fighting world, right? So you know, in my opinion here, this fight is mispriced. If I if I'm pricing this fight out, I'm making serial gain minus one twenty, and I'll make Giorgino plus one hundred. But this is just a massive price discrepancy, in my opinion. Giorgino's a fighter. He knows how to fight. Serial Gain knocked out mostly a bunch of bombs, except for Junior Dos Santos. But Junior Dos Santos, 37 years old at the end of his career, kind of in it for a paycheck here. I think Rosenstruck's a live dog here. So I like that side. Maybe the public will jump on it. But the sub, the public's also saw a lot of Serial Gain. And, uh, and, and Gain has been beating up a lot of easy guys, so he looks like a big badass, you know. But in my opinion, the right play is going to be on Giorgino. Well, in in a lot of UFC fights, you want to look at paths to victory. You want to see, you know, does it have to be by knockout? Can they win a decision? Can they win by submission? Gain has three knockout wins. He has three submission wins, and he's won once by decision. And Rosen strikes a guy with 10 knockouts out of his 11 wins. So it's pretty much, you know, he's sort of a one-trick pony in that regard. I don't really look at paths to victory in a heavyweight fight for exactly what I started the segment with of, one shot could end it. So to me, I like Rosenstrike. I think I saw uh, over at BetMGM plus 290 for him to win by stoppage or DQ. Gain was minus 105 to win by stoppage or DQ. I think both of those are decent prices. If you set up the bet amounts correctly, you'll make money regardless of what happens with the outcome here. But to me, I mean, I think Rosenstrike is better than two to one. I think he's very much, as you mentioned, a live dog. And I don't think he beats Naganu. I mean, he was a pretty big underdog in that fight. But that fight was over in, what, 20 seconds? I mean, who knows how this guy would have gone if that fight had actually lasted a little bit, if he would have been able 
to get some shots in there for himself or something like that to at least have maybe something of a better showing that, you know, could have altered the price for this one. So I think we're both on the same page here with this fight. What about the lead-in to the main event here with Nikita Krylov and Magomed Ankalaev? Ankalaev, a minus 360 favorite here. It's a pretty big price for him. It is a big price, and I dove deep into this fight. Um, There's something that stuck out for me at first for Magomed. I love Magomed. I made some money off Magomed last couple years here he's a very good stand-up fighter, you know, very good. But Nikita, he's a, he's going to be a problem in my opinion for Magomed. Cause the first thing I was looking at is like, he's minus three fifty. Magomed wins by KOs almost all the time. So his KO price is minus one Oh five. I'm like, Ooh, minus one Oh five. And I started doing a little bit more research, research on Krylov and Krylov, man, he just doesn't get knocked out. He's been knocked out once in his career and he's going to know what to do against Magomed, you know. <laughs> I, he's a better grappler. You know, Nikita is going to play smart and try to keep this fight on the ground as much as possible. Maybe Magomed wins and does knock him out. But at the plus 150 that this fight goes the distance, I don't even have to pick a winner. I like that a lot better because I think Nikita's smart enough and his record shows he doesn't get knocked out. Now, Nikita likes to submit people. He's got like 15 submissions or something like that, 11 KOs. But the guy's a, the guy's a, a great technical fighter here. And Magomed is, is the more stronger. He, he's got the better stand-up game. But Nikita's got the better ground game for sure. You know, stat-wise, if you look at that, it looks like Nikita's actually better uh, on his feet too, landing 4.5 significant strikes per minute to 3.5. But I've watched Magomed, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that in a boxing match, Magomed's gonna lose to Nikita. But I will say is that Nikita is not gonna get knocked out, in my opinion. So I think that this fight is going to go the distance at plus 150. Now, if you want to get really cute and you think because Nikita is gonna frustrate Magomed, and I haven't decided anything yet. I could take uh, Nikita by submission at plus 950 because Nikita likes to win by submission. I've seen some great fighters just get caught on their back, you know. Uh, they get caught with, with an ankle, you know. Things happen in the UFC. Rear naked chokes, triangles, man. I, this can happen. And so uh, if you want to get really cute, you put a little sprinkle or something on the uh, – on Nikita, maybe, but Magomed, in my opinion, minus three fifty is a little bit wrong. I probably make him more of a minus two fifty, in my opinion, just because Magomed's such a beast in general. But I can, I think that Magomed's probably going to win in decision. I just, I just don't like the price at minus three fifty. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think Ankalaev's a guy that's going to wind up with a title shot in this division here down the line. His only loss, one second left on the clock against Paul Craig in his UFC debut. And if you look at the stat sheet for that one, he probably would have won that fight. Now, maybe it would have been by split decision, but he likely would have won that fight. Should be coming into this one undefeated, but he is not. So I do think he wins, but I think you're on the right track there taking a look uh, at this one going the distance. One that I want to throw out here, because I thought this was pretty interesting. Over at BetMGM, the fight between Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera, the over two and a half rounds is juiced at minus 300. So this one expected to go the distance here or at least go very deep into the third round. And something I was looking at here, Kiev, in Munoz's career, in decisions, he's five and five. In Rivera's career in decisions, he's 17 and three. So if this fight's going the distance here, 
I've got to think Rivera at minus 150 is the play because he's obviously done enough throughout his career to impress the judges in a fight that does go the full 15 or the full 25. Yeah, so it's what the it's a great way to look at it, Adam. What the fight's telling you is that's going to go to this this distance, and Jimmy Rivera is uh, the favorite here, and he's done so well when he wins by decision or the point. So that makes sense. You know, immediately I just look at also what uh, Rivera's. I don't know if you mentioned this, but Rivera's price uh, on winning by points. You know, because it's going to be a lot better than minus one fifty, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a good point here. Let's see, Rivera by decision is even money. Yes, there you go. The, it, so the price is telling you it's going to go the distance of Rivera's decisions, even money. If you think that there's a chance he's going to win it, maybe you put half your bet at the minus 150, put your half your bet at the even money right there. So um, the fight's telling you a story right now. It's just how you're going to react to uh, your pocketbook. Good thoughts on today's show across college basketball and the UFC from Kiev O'Neill from the odds breakers. The oddsbreakers.com is the website. And what's going on over there right now, man? Oh, just pounding through February into March here. You know, lots of free picks out there. We have lots of podcasts. We have that show on Friday now with Kyle Hunter, better odds, sports betting. It's such a fun show. We get guests on as soon as you're, as soon as you're done with your baseball guide, Adam, I don't want to bug you too much. Uh, You're working like eight hour days on that itself. Plus the podcast. I'd definitely love to have you on that show as well. It's kind of like a look into the weekend and uh, what our best bets are going to be. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We'll take a look at that and uh, should have a lot of stuff going on here with different appearances and things of that sort with the betting guide. And of course, continuing to do uh, all the shows here on ATS radio, but you do a great job over there, man. It's a great product. And I encourage everyone to check that out. Follow Kiev on Twitter at Kiev OB or at the odds breakers. And uh, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Um, thanks for having me on. There you go. There's Kiev O'Neill again from the Oddsbreakers at the Oddsbreakers on Twitter and theoddsbreakers.com. Coming up on our Thursday edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat some FCS college football and some college hoops with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. The rest of my day will be spent making the final edits to that MLB betting guide will be posted on Thursday at ATS.io. Again, individual article pages, for all of the articles, but then also a full PDF with a table of contents and an introduction and all of that for you to check out. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.